Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 70 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. We're currently at the halfway point of season four of the show, and today we'll be looking at wireless charging of your car. More specifically, we'll be looking at different methods of getting electricity into electric vehicles that don't actually involve plugging in. Before we start, I wanted to tell you that there's a new article up on the blog related to the discussion we had last week with the charge point operators. I've summarised a few of the main points and put it into an essay form if you didn't get around to listening to the episode yet. The link is in the show notes. Our main topic of discussion today is wireless charging. Since people first started using electricity, the delivery mechanism has been pretty simple and consistent. A cable comes from the source of the electricity and is physically attached to whatever needs power. If you're using a lamp at home, the plug comes out of a wall socket into the lamp. If you're cooking on an electric hob, the wire comes from your fuse box into the hob. On the odd occasion that you're too far from a socket, you can add extra wires in the form of an extension and plug whatever it is you're using into that. The issue here is that generally the items I've mentioned above are live-powered items, and by that I mean that if you unplug the cable, the device being powered will stop working. Lamps don't generally tend to work without means electricity, nor do electric hobs. But there is another type of appliance that exists which is more relevant to what we're talking about today. Something with a rechargeable battery. Phones, tablets, e-readers, battery banks, wireless mice. These are all items that need a source of electricity at some point, but which don't need that source to be constant to operate. In fact, with many items such as phones and tablets, keeping the power supply to the battery permanently can be detrimental. So these items are things which need to be charged, then discharged, then charged again. Again, traditionally, the way that these things were charged was by making a physical tethered connection from a socket to the device. Power was provided for some time, and then the power was disconnected. How many iPhone charge cables do you have with different connectors on the end, or dodgy wires that have become exposed due to overuse, eh? When electric cars came into the market, this was the same model they used, a plug connected to a power source. Sure, you could use any number of different types of cable, depending on whether you were granny charging or fast charging or using a high-powered charger, such as the 350 kilowatt Ionity devices, but they all still depended on having a tethered connection of some sort. Then those geniuses at Apple, or maybe Samsung, hard to tell really, discovered that with the right hardware in the device, it was possible to actually recharge your phone merely by having it in proximity of an electric source. There was no physical need to tether the phone to an outlet. Wireless charging was invented. Strictly speaking, it's actually called inductive charging, but because there are no wires, it's often referred to as wireless. In inductive charging, an alternating current is run through an induction coil in the charging station or pad. Any moving electric charge creates a magnetic field, as stated by Ørsted's law. I, I won't bother explaining Ørsted's law, as I'm sure you're all familiar with it, right? The magnetic field fluctuates in strength as the AC current is continually changing amplitude. A change in magnetic field generates an electromotive force, otherwise known as Faraday's law of induction. This makes an alternating electric current in a second induction coil, the receiving or secondary coil, in the portable device. It's then converted to direct current with a rectifier and used to charge a battery or provide operating power. To put that in plain English, Stick some AC through one piece of the apparatus and the fact that it alternates creates a current in the other piece. That current then charges the battery. For smaller devices such as phones or an Apple Watch, this is done using a low-powered charging pad. 
In fact, many new cars now even have these charging pads built into them, so you can literally charge your phone as you're driving without needing to connect it to a USB port. Just slip the phone onto the charging pad, and voila, it charges. So, as people tend to do with new innovations, they started to look at other ways of using this inductive charging process. Electric vehicles seemed to be an ideal solution. However, this is where the thinking diverged. Some people felt that it would be fairly simple to put inductive charging coils into specific parking places and EVs would simply park over the top and start charging wirelessly. Other people felt that the solution would be to plant induction coils along long stretches of road so that the cars could actually recharge while they were driving. Both solutions have pros and cons. With stationary charging, there's a need to ensure that the induction coil on the ground and the induction coil on the vehicle are properly aligned. If they aren't, the charging won't work as efficiently. Even if they are fully aligned, you'll still lose some efficiency due to the nature of what you're doing. Boston-based company Witricity is using some specific tech magic called magnetic resonance, which effectively tunes the car and the charger to a specific frequency that enables the charging to be more efficient. They claim an efficiency of 90-93%, to which means they can do charging speeds that match those of wired chargers. With moving induction, the cost of implementing this technology across large swathes of road is fairly high. Maintenance would also involve digging roads up at great cost and inconvenience. But there are still places that are looking at wireless charging while driving. In essence though, stationary induction coils would appear to be a better solution out of the two. They're easy to install, work on just about any vehicle with the right equipment, and are relatively safe. When we spoke with uh, Dr. Ewan McTurk back in episode 61, we touched on the topic of wireless charging. There's Yeah, there's quite a few interesting ideas in that regard. Will we see inductive charging? Perhaps at taxi ranks. I know there have been some promising trials in Nottingham, um, but that's going to require the standardization of the size of coils uh, on the on the ground and on the vehicle and i think that because you you lose so much efficiency if you have mismatched coils and if they're not perfectly aligned you know that's going to be a, a major efficiency loss that's you're better plugging in in that regard but with increasing levels of autonomous driving capability we could have a vehicle that parks itself perfectly over one of those induction coils and maybe if the induction coil on the vehicle has a certain amount of freedom to correct itself on, on the X or the Y axis and to move itself to align itself perfectly, if the vehicle itself cannot park perfectly over the, uh, the coil, then that could improve the efficiency as well. And that's something that we could see with niche vehicle operations like taxis. Will it go to private cars? Possibly, but uh, I, I think it's more likely to be taxis at the moment. What Ewan said there highlights a couple of items. First of all, inductive charging would be an ideal solution for autonomous, i.e. self-driving cars, as they could position themselves perfectly over the coil, and it would also solve the problem of how self-driving cars would be recharged if they never had an opportunity to stop at a traditional charger to be plugged in manually. Secondly, he talked about potential applications for wireless charging that are already there. Trials are in place in Nottingham with wireless charging. Induction coils have been fitted into taxi ranks in the city, and taxis have been retrofitted with receiving coils. The idea is that rather than take 30 minutes at lunchtime to top up a taxi at a rapid charger, these electric taxis will simply position themselves over the induction coils while waiting for their next passenger. It won't give them a full charge unless they're there for a reasonably long time, but it will allow them to top up the battery during the day. If you do this three or four times throughout the day, for five or ten minutes each, that's the equivalent to a 30 to 40 minute charge. Oslo has also started a similar trial using 25 Jaguar I-Pace taxis. 
These I-paces can charge inductively at 50 to 75 kilowatts. Using resonant magnetic coupling operating at 85 Hz, that's the system we discussed earlier with Wittricity in Boston, a charging pad will route enough energy to a taxi's batteries to add about 80 kilometers or 50 miles of range for every 15 minutes hovering over the inductive coils, with no physical plugs or human hookup required. On the topic of public transport, there are also trials in place in Germany using 200 kilowatt induction pads fitted to bus stops. Whenever a bus pulls in over the loop, the battery will be charged. Obviously, this won't be for 15 minutes at a time, but shorter, more regular stops should keep the battery topped up enough to make it worthwhile. But this isn't the only way to power vehicles that doesn't involve plugging them in. Anyone who's ever ridden a tram will know of the other way of doing this. Trams are usually fitted with a spring-loaded arm protruding from the top of the roof. This is known as a pantograph. The pantograph pushes against two parallel wires strung along the length of the road the vehicle is travelling on. These wires create an electric current which powers the motors in the trams. This system is known as an overhead catenary system. This is in commonplace use in many different railway systems throughout the world. Switzerland, China, Denmark, Canada and even the UK have, a, have overhead catenary systems to power some of their rail services. If you live in Wimbledon or Croydon and you've used the tram service that connects those two points, that runs on a catenary system. But what isn't seen so much is the use of catenary systems for road transport. For road haulage, especially on heavily trafficked routes, there is a potential business case for using catenary lines to power trucks. Many people feel that electrifying large trucks is not feasible due to the huge batteries that would be needed. Tesla and several other truck companies don't necessarily agree with them. Dutch academic and renewable researcher Auke Hoekstra is adamant that battery electric trucks are a workable solution for many cases. I'll link to his Twitter thread on this in the show notes. But an alternative would be to string power lines up above main road haulage routes and use these to power trucks and buses. Germany has already installed a test system on 18.3 kilometres of the B462 between Gernsback-Oberstrott and Kuppenheim. The intention is to log three quarters of a million kilometres and determine the real-life suitability of this technology. The beauty of a vehicle fitted with a pantograph is that it works in both a hybrid and a pure battery electric vehicle mode. Whenever a truck leaves the overhead line, for example to overtake another vehicle, the hybrid motor can cut in automatically and transport the truck to the next section of catenary. But, and more importantly, for trucks which do have full battery systems, the pantograph can charge the battery as it works. This means that when the overhead line disappears, or when the truck needs to turn off the road for whatever reason, it has a fully charged battery to take it to the next stage of the journey. This in itself, coupled with the overhead catenary, means that a battery electric vehicle truck would not need a huge battery, merely one that's large enough to accommodate a worst case scenario for traveling when the pantograph isn't operating. So let's talk about the one issue that will need to be solved for both the induction charging and the catenary charging. How do you pay for it? If you're a taxi driver in Oslo pulling 50 miles of range into your iPace over 15 minutes, how is it actually charged to you as a driver? In some countries such as Norway, the government may take the decision that taxi charging via this method is free or subsidised so heavily that drivers pay a one-off fee per year to use it. Obviously that solution isn't scalable. It also doesn't work for our friends in Germany who are trialling the overhead catenary system. For taxi fleets or passenger cars, Momentum Dynamics, who were running the Oslo I-PACE trial, 
is actually developing software to track even the briefest charging events and bill customers automatically, similar to an automated tolling system. This would seem to be absolute best solution. Every vehicle is charged separately with a full log and automated billing. It's not dissimilar to Tesla's supercharger billing system. It's all linked to the CAN bus in the vehicle, which provides a unique ID to whatever billing system is being used. Presumably a similar method can be applied to the overhead catenary system for buses and road hauling. Wireless charging is one of those holy grail technologies that can make everybody's life much easier when it comes to electric cars. Imagine, instead of needing curbside connection points to charge a car for people who don't have off-street parking, you just set induction loops into the ground at regular intervals. You park at the curb and your car charges. Voila. Imagine car parks at places like DIY superstores, cinemas, restaurants, etc. all having induction coils in the ground. You drop your car there while you shop, eat or watch a movie and when you come back, it's charged. We've said in several episodes on charging that the majority of EV charging is done while you're not using the car. In the 90% of time, it's sitting doing nothing. At the moment, that's done via 7kW chargers or home charge units. But there's no reason why lots of public parking places can't be set up to have numerous induction chargers in the floor. Grazing will become the new fast charging. With CAN bus ID and the ability to build by the second, the financial side of things can easily be worked out. Let's hope this becomes standard. At the moment, however, there are very few cars that come with wireless traction battery charging as standard. The BMW 530e plug-in hybrid does, as does the McLaren Speedtail Hyper GT. The issue is that there has to be a standard in place to ensure compatibility between the vehicle and the in-ground coil. If each manufacturer chooses their own standard, the format walls will move from CCS versus CHAdeMO to whatever the wireless standard 1 is versus whatever the wireless standard 2 is. In reality, we need all cars to be able to wirelessly charge on all induction coils. As soon as that standard is defined and accepted, we can then start to look at rolling out wireless charging. That will be the point where vehicle manufacturers will include induction coils in their vehicles so that when the in-ground coils are implemented, owners can take advantage of the ability of the car to wirelessly charge. So it was good news that a new standard was recently published by SAE International, which will ensure that automakers building EVs will have one set of rules for wireless charging of EVs around the world. Called at J2954, the new standard was officially proposed in May 2016, but SAE and automaker engineers have at least been thinking about this standard since 2007, and that's good news, as long as everyone decides to follow the standard. So when will wireless charging be available? Well, you could potentially do it now. A company called Plugless, link in the show notes, provides wireless charging solutions for certain Teslas, the BMW i3, the Leaf and the Chevy Bolt. But this is for at-home charging where you can lay a pad on the ground and simply drive over it to start the charging. The retrofit on these models costs upwards of $4,000 and the website is three years old, so the information may be out of date. The Wittricity system mentioned earlier is what's been used in the BMW 530e and that is available now. Finally, on the subject of wireless charging, you recall what I said earlier about how inductive charging actually works. I said, stick some alternating current through one piece of the apparatus and the fact that it alternates creates a current in the other piece. That current then charges the battery. The implication of this is that if both the ground coil and the vehicle coil are aligned correctly, the vehicle coil can be the one providing the alternating current and the ground coil can be the one receiving the current. That's right, wireless charging can also be vehicle to grid compatible. 
So if we get to the stage where on-street charging is commonplace with people parking their cars over induction coils at the curbside, this could all feed, along with home charging, into the grid to help balance it. How cool is that? We have the solutions, we just need to implement them. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. We covered solar pay TV for Kenya last week, and this week we want to talk about Asambe. It's a Zulu word meaning let's go, and a company called Asambe is an electric scooter and bicycle sharing and guided tour service company. It's rolling out its platform in Harare, Zimbabwe after a six-month trial. Due to COVID restrictions, they've had to delay the rollout uh, from earlier this year, but They've used this delay to set up last-mile delivery services in the city. As countries begin to open and as tourism begins to recover, Sambe will shift its focus back to vehicle sharing and guided tours. They're using electric scooters from Super Soko and electric bicycles from Namibia's e-bikes for Africa. The electric scooter has a range of 70 kilometers with a six-hour charge time. The electric bicycles have a range of 60 kilometers and can be charged in about five hours. With fuel costing upwards of $1.20 a litre and extreme shortages in the country, this looks as though it might be quite a successful and profitable business. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and the associated newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So, you've gone electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car at the moment. It's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon, you know he's designing a brand new electric skateboard to help commuters. It's quite small with a little battery on the back and it'll fit into the glove compartment of a vehicle. You take it with you, park up and go the last mile on the scooter. I asked him what his target market was for the board. Will it go to private cars? Possibly, but uh, I, I think it's more likely to be taxis at the moment. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.